live from Earth, it's Space Radio. This is Paul Sutter and coming up, hey look guys, we've got a mini moon and of course taking listener questions about all things in this amazing universe. We record every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern and you can follow along or leave a voicemail. Check out spaceradioshow.com for all the links that you will need. And in today's Blue Shift, I'll be talking about, hey, Let's think like a scientist, but first, the news. Hello, space cadets. Welcome to Space Radio. I'm Paul Sutter, astrophysicist at Stony Brook University and the Flatiron Institute. And for the next half hour, your agent to the stars. We've got an exciting show for you today where we talk about all the beautiful things in this universe. This show lives on listener questions. Listen up. We record every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern here at Spaceman Studios in New York City. So leave a voicemail at spaceradioshow.com to get yourself on the air. You can also follow along with our space cadets tuning in live from around the world. And by world, I mean Earth, including but not limited to Plattsburgh, New York, New Mexico, Howell, New Jersey, all the news represented today. Somewhere in South America, Ashburton, New Zealand, Washington, D.C., Serbia, Christchurch, New Zealand, Austin, and Dallas, Texas, and Ireland, and also another part of Ireland. There's a lot of parts of Ireland. Welcome, Space Cadets, on this journey. And that's right, you can join them live 8 p.m. Thursday. Go to spaceradioshow.com for all the links that you will need. It will take questions that you send there, too. Seriously, folks, I've prepped, I don't know, like 30 seconds tonight of show material. So get those questions in. Before I start taking questions, I wanted to share some interesting bits of news I caught recently and everyone's making hay about this new mini moon. And this is not the first time. So we have our moon, which is just called the moon. That's how much of a moon it is. In 2006, we found a small little rock that was kind of sort of coincidental with the earth kind of sort of maybe orbiting the earth but that was a very very loose definition it was temporarily circling the earth or like hanging out in the same part of the solar system as the earth and then it left did for like a couple years now it's happened again we found this really really tiny thing it's 6 to 11 feet across it is officially called 2020 cd3 everyone else is calling it the mini moon because why not it's like a moon but smaller but check this out it's so tiny it's just a little dot of light for a while we weren't sure if this was a legit space thing like an asteroid or if it was just leftover space junk like an injected booster Uh, But based on the image properties, we are pretty sure it is an asteroid and it has been captured by the Earth, but not permanently. In just a few months, it is going to make its way out of of the vicinity of the Earth and keep on wandering throughout the solar system. So it's just a little wander, a little friend hanging out for a bit and then moving on. Why does anyone care? Well, one, it's cool to talk about a mini moon. We're not going to pass up an opportunity to talk about a new thing orbiting the Earth. And second, 
Oh, we are interested in capturing asteroids. We're interested in studying asteroids. We're interested in potentially, I know this is far-fetched, but it's like setting up colonies on asteroids. And most of the asteroids are in the asteroid belt, who would have guessed, uh, which is past the orbit of Mars. And so to get to the asteroid belt, it's like, oh gosh, it's like, why it's just so far it's like if you're gonna go all the way out to the astronaut just go to mars instead because it's big you know it's it's got everything you need so if we're going to start doing anything at all interesting with asteroids, we're going to do it with the near-Earth asteroids. We're going to do it with the ones close to us. And we might get lucky in a few years where... An asteroid, one of these asteroids is become going to become a temporary mini moon. And then we can, you know, do something useful with that. So we're going to keep our eye out. Uh, there are several surveys that are capable of detecting mini moons. The biggest one that's coming up is the Vera Rubin Observatory, which is an eight meter telescope. That's like 25 feet across uh, in Chile. And it's going to, it has started surveys or at least first light, it's cracked open, and they are, or sorry, no, it's not doing it till next year. I'm thinking of a different telescope. There's so many telescopes going on nowadays, it's amazing. Uh, the, this is, giant telescope is gonna start uh, looking at the night sky next year, and it's gonna hope, potentially capture a bunch of these mini moons. There could be like a lot hanging around the Earth, but we just don't see them because they're very small and very far away and hard to spot. That's a mini moon. That's cool. Also, you know, they might pose an existential risk because they crash into us. But, you know, whatever. You know, that's that's just a minor, minor detail. That's the latest and greatest when it comes to space. It's time to have a conversation. Speaking of questions, we've got a voicemail ready to go. Hey, Greg. Greg, are you paying attention? Put down the paper. Is that even today's paper? Or are you reading? Have you been reading the exact same paper since 1987? I think you have. I think you have. We got voicemail. Uh, hit play the play the tape, Greg, please. Hi, Paul. This is Fenris from the UK. I've often heard the cooling of the universe be explained through expansion, and as the expansion continues, the temperature has to come down. I'm wondering, does that mean there'll be a point where the temperature comes down to absolute zero? And if that does happen, does that stop the expansion of the universe or does the universe continue expanding regardless thanks wow that was a really really fun question i'm gonna have a lot of fun answering this so yes we live in an expanding universe and this fact is one of the most mind-blowing facts you can ever possibly encounter our entire universe let that sink in our entire universe changes with time. It gets larger. It gets bigger. It gets colder. Why does it get colder? Well, if you have a thing like a box of gas, it has a certain temperature, a certain pressure, a certain volume. And if you take that box of gas and you stretch it out, if you make the box bigger, then that gas has more room to roam, which means it's going to be cooler. The bigger the volume, the lower the temperature. Happens with a gas, happens with the universe. Our universe was a lot hotter way back in the day when it was smaller and denser. And nowadays, it's not so small, it's not so hot, it's not so dense. And as the universe expands, it continues to get 
cooler. To give you a sense of how quickly it is cooling off, uh, around 13.8 billion years ago, we have observations of this epoch. We, we can take pictures of it. The universe was around 10,000 Kelvin, 10,000 degrees above absolute zero. Nowadays, 13.8 billion years later, we're hovering around three. The average temperature of the universe is about three degrees, three Kelvin above absolute zero. And that will keep going down. It will go down to two, one and a half, one. You can imagine... I presume this process of this number continuing to get smaller. It will never ever quite reach zero though. Zero is absolute zero, the, the coldest temperature possible, uh, and nothing can actually reach absolute zero. This is one of the laws of thermodynamics. You cannot actually bring a system all the way to absolute zero. There's always just a little bit of energy. There's always something stopping you from reaching absolute zero. So what the universe is going to do temperature wise is it's not going to crash to absolute zero. It's going to glide in the direction of absolute zero. We have a mathematic term for this, a mathematic word. The word is asymptote, which means it will get closer and closer to absolute zero without actually reaching absolute zero. So it's going to be uh, in the future, we'll have one degree Kelvin, then half, then a quarter then an eighth, then a 16th, then a 132nd, then a 164th, a 1 and 1256th, a tiny, tiny fraction at a time, but it'll never ever quite reach zero. And yes, as far as we understand it, our universe will continue to expand forever. There's a lot of caveats on that statement because it depends on exactly what dark energy is. We don't fully understand dark energy. If dark energy keeps doing its dark energy thing into the future, then our universe will just keep expanding uh, forever into infinity and the temperature will approach absolute zero. Uh, it could change character. It could do something funky, but you know, we'll deal with that when it happens in a few billion years. Even though the temperature never quite reaches absolute zero, uh, one of the consequences of this is that temperature differences in the universe eventually go away. So right now we have really hot places like stars and really cold places like everywhere else. And eventually these are going to equilibrate. These will become equal. And once they become equal or once they approach getting equal, then if you don't have any heat differences, if you don't have any differences in temperature, uh, you can't extract energy. You can't get work done. So machines, thermodynamic machines and work stop working in the far distant future. An example of a thermodynamic machine is life. Life depends on heat and temperature differences. We need a hot sun and somewhere else to and somewhere else cold, and we depend on that flow of energy, uh, and we take a little piece of it to call it our own and generate life. Eventually, that's going to go away. We call that the heat death of the universe, or the death of heat in the universe. It's not going to happen for a while. We've got a few eons left to go so you can sleep at night, but it is going to happen. So, yep, I know that doesn't sound like the happiest future fate of the universe, but it's the only one we got, so we might as well learn to live with it. I'm Paul Sutter, and this is Space Radio. This show is brought to you by you. Please go to patreon.com slash pmsutter. And if you've never heard of Patreon, it's where you can contribute just like five bucks a month. 
That's it. Five bucks. You you press a little button. You you type in your credit card deals details, and then it's five bucks a month, and then you get to support the show. And in exchange, you get some perks. You get some exclusive access. You get to get some sneak previews. Uh, I show up and like you know write stuff to you occasionally. It's pretty fun. It's a really, really fun community and you can be a part of it. Patreon.com slash PM Sutter for just a few bucks a month. You can keep the show going. In the meantime, speaking of the show going, I'll see you after the break. Support for Space Radio on 90.5 WCBE comes from Thompson Hine, a business law firm serving clients for more than a century. Thompson Hine provides innovative client service through SmartPath, a smarter way to work. Predictable, efficient, and aligned with client goals. More information about the firm at thompsonhine.com. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Paul Sutter, and this is Space Radio. We've got so many more Space Cadet questions ready to go, but remember, you can join the conversation by leaving an online voicemail or by following the live streams. Check out spaceradioshow.com for all the links. Starting us off today is Commander Benkai, the Space Cadet on YouTube. That is, I did not give you that rank in the Space Cadet Corps of Commander. That, that was a self-title. We'll talk about that later. We'll talk about that offline. Is the total energy of the universe increasing as space expands? If so, does this violate the first law of thermodynamics? Cannot create or destroy energy? Uh, okay, a few things going on. Some very, very common misconceptions. There is energy in the vacuum. Uh, if you have a box of nothing, if you take out all the particles and radiation, you got a box, there's still vacuum. There's still nothing inside of that, and, but the vacuum itself has an energy associated with it. It didn't have to. There's no rule that said the universe must have an energy associated with the vacuum, but it does, and so we're stuck with it. So as the universe expands, as it gets bigger, we get more and more vacuum. We get more and more space. The space has an energy that carries along with it. As the universe expands, there's more of this energy. We call it various things like zero-point energy or vacuum energy. It might or might not be the dark energy that's responsible for the accelerated expansion of the universe. Commander Benkai is asking, wait a minute, I thought energy couldn't be created or destroyed. So what's going on? There's two possible responses. Each are equally valid. Uh, one response is that when we do a full accounting of the system, yes, the energy in the vacuum is going up, uh, but the potential energy of the universe is also increasing and these balance each other out. So in your spreadsheet of energy budget for the universe, everything balances. You might, or not, might not be satisfied by that answer. Another response is, who told you that energy can't be created or destroyed? No, seriously, who told you? Like, there's, uh, yes, if I'm looking at, like, thermodynamic systems, then I have to look at conservation of energy, but we're looking at the whole entire universe. And when you're looking at the physical system, or when you look at a particular physical system, you have to, you have to apply the right rules, and things like conservation of energy don't, just don't, don't apply to the whole entire universe. No one said it does. The universe can do whatever it wants. The universe can create and destroy energy if it feels like it. Who cares? 
Conservation of energy is only a rule that's applied in certain limited cases. It's not a general rule that applies to every single scenario. So just like get over it. Larry Beckham is asking, did I hallucinate from last week? So if you don't know, if you just listen to the podcast or listen to the radio show, there is a special treat for the Space Cadets that only... Only they get, when I'm done recording, I do a cheese. I bring cheese. When there's a cheese thing right here on my desk, uh, right next to the microphone in Spaceman Studios. And I, I sample it. I give it a try. It's a brand new cheese every single week. And sometimes it's yummy. And sometimes it's the most vile thing I've ever had. Last week, mm, I ate a gorgonzola that was a little bit bad. And so I... There were, I believe there were fever dreams later that night, but I, I don't want to tell you what they were about. So if you're ever curious what happens behind the scenes during the live stream recording, it's mostly cheese related. Campbell Duncan over on Twitch is asking, any idea why SpaceX would put up so many orbiting satellites to have just a few geostationary ones? Yeah, so SpaceX and a couple other companies are building these global internet access by putting up constellations of hundreds and thousands of satellites to provide high-speed broadband internet around the world. Campbell's asking, why don't we just put them up at a higher orbit where they can stay fixed and then you would just need a few certain sets to to completely blanket the world there there's a couple problems with that and why that doesn't work one is you need capacity you need broadband you're going to potentially have millions of users on this network so just one satellite per geographic region just isn't going to have the bandwidth to be able to carry the load. And the second is geostationary orbit is really far away. You have to be really far away from the Earth to keep that orbit. And we want internet, right? We want live streams and video games and low latency and chat rooms and Facebooks and everything instantaneously. We don't have time for a signal to go all the way out to geostationary orbit and then all the way back. Oh, we'd have to wait seconds. And in the modern world, that is simply unacceptable. So keep the satellites closer, have a lot of them, low latency, a lot of bandwidth. That is how you make a high speed internet. Infinite Monkey over on YouTube is asking, how did particles from the cosmic microwave background reach us if the universe is expanding faster than light? By the way, if you haven't known the universe is expanding faster than light, no, it's not a big deal. What we see as images, and it's not just the cosmic microwave background, which is this leftover light from the early universe. It's also, we can see galaxies today that are currently receding away from us faster than the speed of light because of the expansion of the universe. How can we see this? It's because they didn't, we're not seeing the light that was emitted today, right now. We're seeing the light as it was emitted way back when, when that galaxy was a lot closer to us. So way back when, the galaxy emitted light, boop, set off a flash. The expansion of the universe carries that galaxy away. And in the meantime, in those intervening billions of years, the light reaches us and we get a picture of the galaxy, but not as it is today and not where it is today. 
we get a picture of where it was and how it was. And then based on our understanding of the universe, we can calculate where the galaxy currently is and how fast it's currently receding away from us. And we say, oh, now it's receding away from us faster than the speed of light, but not when it sent its light. But it will mean that eventually that galaxy will fade from view and we'll never be able to see it again. Lots of downer moments in today's episode. And wow, space cadets, you did it. You made an episode happen. I wouldn't know what to talk about in this ep- these shows if it weren't for the Space Cadets because it's your questions that keep the show going. We're almost out of time today on Space Radio, but before we go, it's time for the Blue Shift. I'm Paul Sutter, and you're listening to Space Radio, and this is the Blue Shift, my opportunity to get a little bit closer to you. And today I want to talk about a very cool workshop I am doing on April 17th, that's a Friday, April 17th. If you happen to live in New York City or the New York City area or happen to be visiting New York or the New York City area around April 17th, the Simons Foundation is hosting a workshop. And the guy doing the workshop is me. And it's a fun, fun workshop. It's fun for the whole family. You're not required to have a family, but it's a fun bonus. It's called Let's Think Like a Scientist. One of the things I especially enjoy doing in all of my outreach work, uh, including this show, is explaining how we know things. Yes, I love the awesome facts and knowledge of the universe. Love it. Can't get enough. But I also love explaining how we understanding, how we came to know this. Because it's not magic. We didn't just pop into existence knowing this stuff. We figured it out, okay? And, and, and it's fun to figure it out. And we figured it out using the tools of science. Science is a way of looking at the world. Science is a philosophy. Science is a toolkit. And in this workshop... I'm going to teach you some of the bits of the toolkit, some of the scientific toolkit. There's lots of games. There's lots of group activities. There's lots of Q&A. And what I hope you get out of the workshop is an ability to look at the world a little bit differently. You know, see the world like a scientist sees it. It's an absolutely free workshop. Simon's Foundation has a little bit of money. They're kind of paying for the Flatiron Institute where I work. So it's free. It's free for the public. You just show up. It's in the evening. Uh, it starts at six o'clock and then there's a little uh, food and cocktail reception after because why not? And it's free. So just sign up now. There's going to be a link in the show notes uh, on the show. Uh, I will also put it in the chat. In fact, I'm going to do that right now. And then I'll see you there in April. It's going to be so much fun. I really can't wait to do that. And unfortunately, this broadcast is almost done. Thank you for joining me on this voyage of space radio. Once again, I'm Paul Sutter, and this show is brought to you by you. Go to patreon.com slash pmsutter to learn how you can contribute. Thanks to Greg Mobius for producing, Nancy Graziano for wrangling the space cadets, and all the fine crew at WCBE Radio, that's 90.5 FM in Columbus, for making this show possible. Catch the live stream every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Visit spaceradioshow.com for all the links and show information. And of course, thanks again, space cadets, for listening. See you next week, and remember, Science is for sharing and transmission.